Have you ever walked past a dumpster and been like, yo, I wonder what's in that dumpster? I can put on these glasses. Let's start eating that trash can. <laughs> and look at your body starting to gush. It slides through the wind, human deception. Portions of half-eaten flesh in my mouth. Starting to chew your now-bleeding stump. You're listening to the True Crime Dumpster podcast with hosts Amy and... And I am Kevin. And we are coming back at you this week with episode 52. Did you say 52? 52. Shit, bro. (laughs) And this week we are doing it on the beloved soap maker of Correggio. So she just made soap and everybody loved her at the end. Merry Christmas. <laughs> um, no, she's a little more than that. So her name is Leonardo. I'm going to say Chanchuli. That works for me. I got some of the research from one of my favorite podcasts, True Crime All the Time, who I just love them. They're my true crime dads. But they said Chinchuli, but... It's C-I-A-N, and I'm, I don't speak Italian or anything, but that seems like Chan Julie. I'm going to say Leonardo most of the time, because I'm going to avoid that last name altogether. You do you, okay. buddy. What are you going to say? Chinchilla. <laughs> so this is an Italian case, and so a lot of the stuff that I'm going to be saying is going to be Italian words, and... We're just going to, you know, try our best. And so most of the information I got was from um, a bunch of websites. I'm not going to name them all off. One of which definitely was Murderpedia and all that's interesting. Two of those were really, really helpful. But I will list all of our sources in the episode notes as well as eventually probably on our website. But we haven't updated that in a while. So every time Amy fucks up one of these names, if you're drinking, you got to take a drink. Well, how that's, how that's... are they know, how are they knowing to fuck it up unless? Oh, I think you'll be able to tell. <laughs> so to the drinkers listening, when she fucks these up, you drink. So Leonardo Chin. <sighs> drink. <laughs> so Leonardo was born on November fourteenth, eighteen ninety three. So she just had a birthday. <laughs> hey, happy birthday. In Montella, province of Avellino. I think that was fine. You could still drink. You you could drink because you just want to drink. So So her upbringing was pretty fucked up. It sounded like it. Yeah. So her father, his name is Mariano Chanchuli. He was actually Leonardo's mother's rapist. Yeah. So... The mom, her name is Emilia. I think I think that was fine. Emilia. 
she was raped by this guy named Mariano and to kind of save face, I guess, because she got pregnant from the rape, she was forced to marry her rapist. Yeah. Who is trying to save face there? I think it was just the idea of like he owned up to it. Like, yeah, I had sex with her. And like, I think that probably the parents were like, you have to marry her. If you put a baby in her, you have to marry her. And I'm fairly certain we don't know for a fact but i'm fairly certain that emilia um emilia probably did not want to marry her rapist you know i would go so far to say you're probably right yeah and so as a result i'm assuming emilia was emotionally abusive to her children i can only imagine because she probably didn't like appreciate their existence. I hate to say that, but children that are products of rape, I can only imagine, except for, you know, Law and Order SVU, Olivia Benson, she was a product of a rape. Did you know that? I did not. Just on the show, not as like a real person like Marissa oh. Hargitay. Okay. But like, she seemed fine. In the show? In the show. She's, oh, a, okay. she's I mean, she's like 23 seasons deep. But she's... <laughs> She's, she's a fictional character. Okay, but, so. But well, she, I'm, she's I'm glad product, this fictional character's doing well. She's the product of a rape. People who watch Lana or SVU, you got me. Dick Wolf. <laughs> That's all you know. That and iced tea. That's all you need to know. Yeah. So Amelia was abusive to her children, like I said, just emotionally. She did eventually get married a second time, but I think continued to be kind of a dickhead to them. And, um... Also, as a result, I think maybe of multiple marriages and multiple children, the family is very poor. So as a little girl, Leonardo attempted suicide twice. Because I think her mom let her know, like, she was not wanted. You know what I mean? It sounded like she did not treat her daughter very well. Yeah. So uh, we're going to fast forward about, let's see, 21 years here. So in 1914, so Leonardo is 21 years old. She marries a registry office clerk. His name is Rafael Ponsardi. Hey, that I, was pretty yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, Her parents didn't approve of the marriage, and they had actually planned on her marrying another man. Some rich guy, right? Yeah, like a rich guy. And I actually don't think he was even like bad looking or anything, but she didn't love him. She didn't want an arranged marriage. And obviously the mother wanted it as a come up in the world. Like right. obviously if you can arrange your marriage to like, you know, somebody who has money, then that money can go towards the family. And so she kind of ran off and married this guy that they didn't approve of. And as a result, guess what mom did? <laughs> um. Did she start baking stuff? No, no, no. So Leonardo claimed that on the occasion of like her wedding day, her mother cursed them. Oh, right. Yeah. You get a little ahead of yourself there. I didn't want to I didn't want to get too ahead. Yeah. So Leonardo was a very like superstitious woman who believed in like astrology and palm reading and all of that stuff. And a lot of people do. I I'm not one of those people. I refer to those things as called science <laughs> black magic science you know same thing so she actually went to go see a fortune teller for some insight into her life and she went to a traveling romani woman i think that is a nice way of saying gypsy, gypsy? <laughs> yeah. 
a vampire thrall. <laughs> it's funny that the source I got this from was traveling Romani woman. It's like, that's just a way of saying gypsy. Uh, I think in the podcast that I listened to, they said gypsy. And rather than, you know, hear the things that she wanted to hear, it actually just made it worse. And she said, in your right hand, I see prison. And in your left hand, a criminal asylum. Yeah. <laughs> I, I might want to get a second opinion. Yeah, for sure. So she also, I, I don't have it down here, but I did hear that she also had a fortune that said, you will have a lot of children and they will all die before you die. Yeah. You're going to have a lot of children and they're all going to die. And so that was another fortune. So it's just like, damn, dude, this like lady can't catch a break. And, you know, I'm going to present her as somewhat of a sympathetic victim. Like we do a lot. Like in the Yasser Saeed case, you know, we kind of presented, what was her name? I want to say Tiffy Pitt. You know, the like she was the mom. Oh, right. What was her name? The model. <laughs> what was her name? Tippy? <laughs> tissy? The tissy, tissy, yeah. yeah. Tissy, tissy. I mean, we've covered a lot of people who are sympathetic victims. They start off as sympathetic victims, right? Of circumstance or whatever, right? Their place in the world. But then they do horrific things that like you you can't justify just because of their victimhood. Yeah, it's like reverse paying it forward. <laughs> It's paying it backwards. Yeah. <laughs> They're paying it backwards. <laughs> <laughs> kind of similar to Tissy and a lot of other, like, especially women that we've talked about, is that definitely a victim of circumstance, definitely a sympathetic victim at first, but that does not absolve them of their sins, of their future sins. And that's just something you see a lot in criminology, you know what I mean? Like, of people being abused and then becoming abusers. It's that idea of like taking back that power. And God, I mean, more often than not, that's not the case, right? People, I think, want to do and be better than what they grew up with. But we're going to find that Leonardo is not an exception to the kind of criminology rule we we're talking about, that the abused becomes the abuser, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, her superstition kind of gets the best of her. Yeah. And and things keep kind of coming to fruition, too. Yeah, you know, it's pretty... Well, so the power of suggestion is pretty strong. Yeah, so it I'm wondering be. if it was almost like... There's I mean, studies... It's not a self-fulfilling... Well, I guess it is kind of a self-fulfilling Well, yeah, prophecy. but there's studies, like, from, like, shamans and stuff. Like, I've been hearing a lot, a lot of weird you've stories. Been, you've been listening to a lot of shamans? I go down the weird rabbit holes... You know all about that. Yeah, yeah, I know. But I know uh, about your rabbits. <laughs> in like some older civilizations, like the witch doctor would tell someone that they were going to die. Like there was like something where almost like spin the bottle. And like when like the stick or whatever pointed to you, the witch doctor would tell you your fortune, whatever it was. And if, if he told you you were going to die, it's like this weird power of suggestion. These people die mm -hmm. not that long after. It's weird. Yeah. And it kind of is like, is it the suggestion that made it happen or was it really meant to be and they really are like a prophet, you know? I think it's the suggestion, the idea of like chaos magic where your will manifests. Yeah. It's like that kind of thing where yeah. it enters your subconscious and maybe you're not consciously thinking about it, but it's like 
I don't know. You're, it's just yeah. manifests into reality somehow. But you think that after her first palm reading that said she was going to go to prison and then also end up in a mental asylum, I think she would stop going to fortune tellers. Or at least that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I, I don't I know mean, if it was the same fortune teller or not that said that all your children will die. Yeah, I was thinking about that. And if it is the same fortune teller, she... She does not know what a repeat customer is. That's what I'm thinking. She's really got a bad business model. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> As somewhat predicted, Leonardo had 17 pregnancies. So again, the fortune teller said you would have a lot of children. So she had 17 pregnancies with her husband. Did he have a job? Because that is... Well, I'm assuming, yes. He was a clerk. He was a he was a registry office clerk. And we're going to find out that she did some stuff, too. OK, so she had 17 pregnancies during their marriage, but she lost three of the children to, due to miscarriages and 10 more died during their youth. Ten. This was also like the turn Late, of the century. Yeah, yeah. Turn of the century. So they were married in 1914. So I'm assuming they're having kids right at that moment. Because seven like that's basically 17 years of having kids. So if you feed this lady after midnight. She will multiply. Yeah. Yeah. But she won't be able to keep all of them. That means if you do the math, four of them survived past their youth. Thank you for doing the math for us. Okay. So as a result, she was super protective of the four remaining children, right? As a result, she was very protective of the four remaining children she had left, right? Right. So in 1927, about 13 years after their marriage, Leonardo was imprisoned for fraud. So that was her starting her life of crime. What was the fraud? It's not known. It's very vague. She actually did write a 700-page memoir called, I think it was called Confessions of a Bitter Soul. Um, I don't want to give too, too much away, but she does. I think a lot of this information, I don't think it was translated into English so that's one of the reasons like it's not easy to find it's only in Italian and I think she was very I think that there that the details lie in the memoir which would be very difficult to translate you know what I mean so I'm sure that there are details on it but through and through every website I looked at it just said fraud so after Leonardo was released from prison a devastating earthquake destroyed the couple's house it would later be categorized as the most destructive earthquake in Italian history. Like, I think, like, thousands of people died, too. So she, her and her family were fine, but they did lose their home. So they were forced to move out of town to Correggio, where she opened a, up a small shop and became popular as a caring mother, a good neighbor, and a very gentle, warm woman. She also started to tell fortunes and hypnotize clients, claiming to have special powers to make their dreams come true. So I'm guessing she had almost kind of like a head shop, you know what I mean? Like if she's also like telling fortunes and stuff there, it seems like maybe, you know, she probably sold like candles and soaps and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Sometimes an awful smell would emulate from her kitchen, but it never lasted long. Her neighbors knew that she was quite superstitious um, and so I think a lot of them kind of imagine like, oh, she's probably just doing some brouhaha, you know, like. Brouhaha. Is there know. a cauldron involved? Uh, she did have a cauldron, yes. You know, this lady reminds me of a lot of one of our friends. that Sarah. Lives, yeah. Well, I was going <laughs> to say her name, but. But yeah, she. I hope well, Sarah's not doing the things that Leonardo was doing, though. 
But now she's on an island somewhere. Yeah. I won't say what island because I won't call her out that hard. Hawaii? <laughs> no. Got to throw them off the track. Okay, yeah. It's Hawaii. Yeah. That's a um, popular destination for witches. <laughs> her neighbors, um, so like I said, her neighbors knew she was superstitious, so no one really questioned her that much. And her neighbors also knew of her super tragic history and stuff, too, and they felt really bad for her. How did they know? I think she told them. <laughs> Let me I read mean, your palm, and then she tells you her story. I think that also, <laughs> like, sh- I think, I, and this is me just, like, guessing, but I think that, like, you know, as, you know, if you want someone to listen to you, you also give them a lot of yourself as well. Like, I know this because I've been through this, or you know what I mean? Like, she had, I think that part of also her being inviting and warm is that she was very, very honest about like her past and stuff. And maybe they even knew she had gone to jail for fraud and stuff. I mean, she had a very tragic history. And I think that 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 just kind of is part of the package if you know this woman. So in 1938 slash 1939, as you know, in Italy, Europe, the United States, the world, there was a war going on. Come again? And her son, his name, ready? It's my favorite. Giuseppe. I love that name. Was he mad out of wood? <laughs> no, that's Pinocchio. Oh. Uh, and they, is the cricket named Geppetto? I think so. I, think, I don't know. I think Geppetto is probably what you're thinking, which is the cricket <laughs> who is his friend. I got to get this shit straight before we have our kid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, you need to know the difference between Geppetto <laughs> and Geppetti. And- and Giuseppe. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Drink. <laughs> so in 1938, I've heard, I've seen both 1938 and 1939, which both both years the war was raging in Europe. But Giuseppe Ponsardi, her eldest and favorite child, I guess she wasn't shy about that. Uh, he announced that he was going to enlist in the Italian army and he wanted to do his patriotic part in serving dur- during World War II. So Leonardo was uh, Leonarda was terrified at this idea and she decided that she would protect him at any cost because she didn't want to lose any more of her children, least of all her favorite. So was he a child from a second marriage? So are you thinking the rape thing? That was her father. Right, right. She was only married to one guy, oh, okay. Pansardi, okay. and they had 17 kids together, four of which remained. And this is <clears throat> the oldest, I believe. Yeah, okay. I'm yeah. getting my wires crossed. It's okay. It's common for me. There's rabbits involved. <laughs> In between the tears, the superstitious Leonardo determined that human sacrifice would be the best option to ensure his safety. Because, you know... You don't, it can't hurt. It it actually can. People will die. (laughs) So I think she was of the belief, like, you know, give one, take one or something. (laughs) Like. Take a penny, leave a penny? (laughs) Yeah, basically. Ah. But with lives. Right. I, you know, an eye for an eye, a soul for a soul. I don't, I don't totally know. Like if she sacrifices one that like his life won't be sacrificed, I guess. It's an, yeah, it's a common um, trope, I guess. In black magic? <sighs> or just like... I don't know if in black magic specifically, but the idea of... Take one, get one? 
you, you can't. It's like ju- the army, one just, in, one out. You can't just take. You have to also give something. So it's, but like it's giving of something that you don't care about, though. That's what sucks. Like she doesn't care about the people that she kills. Right. Spoiler alert: she kills people. That's so, why we're talking about her. <laughs> yeah. So I I'm all, I only laugh because we're a little we're yeah. Anyways. Because I'm funny. No. Oh. Victim number one. Her name is Faustina Setti. So she was considerably old. So remember, at the time, what, this is like 1930, this is almost 1940s at this point, you know? She was 73. So her first victim was 73 years old. That doesn't seem like a fair switch. That seems like some low-hanging fruit. (laughs) I know. Yeah. So Faustina Setti was a poor, lonely, unmarried 73-year-old woman who was desperate for a husband. Isn't that sad? Yes. So she would go to Leonardo to like get her fortune read and be like, hey, help me get a husband. That's sad. It's fucking sad. Yeah. So she said, so Leonardo told her, I have someone for you in Pola, which is now Croatia. Leonardo told Faustina, but you must tell no one. This sounds shady already. Yeah, well, and she has them, like, write postcards and shit, like, ahead of time to send to their families. It's some it's some shady-ass shit. That's a tell. So if anyone ever asks you to write a postcard to your family <laughs> and date it in the future. And then give it to them so that they can send it for you later. It it's might, a trap. It might be a red flag. Yeah. So Leonardo took this whole stunt a step further by writing Faustina letters from the suitor. So... She is pretending to be this future husband for this lonely, unmarried 73-year-old woman. So she wrote these, like, fake letters to this lonely woman. Right. She just made up a guy and was right. like, I want to marry you and I all this Nosferatu. shit. I have Nosferatu. Yeah. So to keep the secret, she made her pre-make upbeat postcards and letters to mail them to her friends and family once she got to Pola and Faustina, the 73-year-old woman, she got super excited. She packed her bags. Uh, one of the prophecies that, like, Leonardo said that needed to be, like, basically, like, she's like, when I envision you with this man in the future, you have to be blonde. You can't be gray-haired. So you have to, like, dye your hair. And she made her, like, do things. Like, you have to get this money out. You have to do these things. You have to pack these bags. You have to write these postcards. Or else, like, it won't fit into place. So she made her do all these things, right? And she was super excited and she was ready to go be with her, you know, soulmate for the rest of her life. And she she stops by Leonardo's house for the last time for the final preparations. And so Leonardo was acting happy for her. And so she offered her a celebratory wine. Some accounts say it was coffee, but most accounts say it was um, wine. And she wanted to toast to her new life. And in the wine was some drugs that knocked this woman out. And when she was knocked out, Leonardo Leonardo hit her with an axe and hid her body. And then she continued. So she eventually chopped her up into nine parts using a basin to collect the blood. 
And at her 1946 murder trial, Leonarda explained. So this is in Leonarda's words at her murder trial. I waited until it had coagulated. I dried it in the oven, ground it, and mixed it with flour, sugar, chocolate, milk, and eggs, as well as a bit of margarine. So, like, just to, just to clarify, she baked her blood in sheets, baked and baked and baked and baked until she could ground it like flour. Isn't that fucking gross? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty crafty. Yeah, so so she made this, like, blood flour, basically, and then baked it with ingredients that you would bake, like, a cake with. And then she also added a bit of margarine, kneading all of the ingredients together. And I made, I made lots of crunchy tea cakes and served them to the ladies who came to visit, though Giuseppe and I also ate them. What would Martha Stewart say about this Martha recipe? Stewart would say that it is not a good thing. Not a good thing? No. Not she, a good thing. I don't think Martha Stewart would condone cannibalism. <laughs> no, okay, not a good thing. Remember, she 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 <laughs> might be an inside she might do dabble inside trading, but she also like she knows what people want, which is why she had a several million dollar empire. Like she knows how to be a homemaker. I think she would approve of her making cakes, but I don't think she would approve of the dead people that went inside of them. Yeah. Yeah. But what if it was like a nice Maybe display? Maybe Snoop Dogg would. He just wouldn't know what he was eating. <laughs> He's just like, what is this? She's like, I told you it's people. It's tea oh. cakes. It's good. Yeah. It's people. Yeah. So she admitted that her and her son ate them. So I think also what's happening, which is not super explained. I also think so on top of the give one, take one penny life thing. Right. Oh, yeah. There's also ingesting the soul of somebody else to make you stronger. Like, it's not explained, but why else would she have yeah, her and her son eat Wendigo them? Wendigo kind of thing. Yeah. So, like, uh, yeah, taking on the power of the people that you ingest. So, mm. I think that there's two things happening here. I think she's trying to make, A, herself and her son stronger, and B, ward off any kind of, like, future potential death of Giuseppe, right? Yeah, she's trying to protect him. Yes. By baking blood cookies. <laughs> Tea cakes. So I told you the quote that came from her book, and the book is also trans. the The title of the book is also translated "An Embittered Soul's Confessions." I like that one too. But so this is a part of her book about upon you know about the first murder. An embittered. An embittered soul's confessions. It's almost like the rural juror. <laughs> yeah, it's not easy to say. So this is what she is quoted, you know, in, t in Italian from her book. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to read it in Italian, but I'm going to read it in the great. translation, okay? I threw the pieces into a pot, added seven kilos of caustic soda, which I had bought to make soap, and stirred the whole mixture until the pieces dissolved in a thick, dark mush that I poured into several buckets and emptied in a nearby septic tank. So she's explaining how she's actually getting rid of, like, most of the body. Because remember, she for her first victim, she only uses the blood to cook with. Right. Yeah, and the rest of it, she boiled down into that gunk. And, and threw then it threw it in a septic tank. tank, yeah. So as for the blood in the basin, I waited until it coagulated, dried it in the oven, ground it, mixed it with flour, da-da-da-da, like I just said, right? But I wanted to also add, like, how she actually got rid of the body, which right. essentially... She boiled it down with chemicals to make it mush. And then later on, she admits to, so, you know, she's able to get rid of all of the flesh. She gets rid of the blood. 
But as we know, there's more to it than that. There's bones and bones are a lot harder to get rid of. So she actually wrapped them up in brown paper and then gave it to Giuseppe when he would come home from the war. Like he would have his leaves of absence and she would be like, hey, go throw this off a bridge like into the water. And he's like, "Okay, mom. (laughs) Yeah. And so like he was almost found to be like complicit, like in the murders, but she even she was able to spare him. So some sources also record that Chanchuli, um, Leonardo, apparently received Seti's life savings, which was 30,000 lira as payment for her services, which sounds like a lot, but it's it's something like 20 bucks. Like, it's not a lot. Because like I said, she was poor. She yeah. was a poor spinster. So victim number two we know the least about, but her name was Francesca Suavi. So Francesca Suavi was her second victim, And I think it was her second victim, like, within, like, a month or two. So, like, these crimes happened in a fairly short period of time. Because I think, again, there was that, for her, that worry of, like, I've got to do as many back-to-back without getting caught so that I can save my son in this war, right? Yeah. Leonardo claimed to have found her a job. Oh, yeah, so she came to get her fortune told. And one of the things is that she really wanted to have a better job. So... Leonardo claimed that she had a great job for her in Piacenza at a girls' school. So like the previous victim, Suavi was convinced to write postcards to be sent to her friends, this time from Correggio, detailing her plans. Also like the uh, the other woman, Ms. Setti, Suavi came to visit with Leonardo before she departed, right? And she too was given drugged wine. And then... Same deal, killed her with an axe. The murder occurred on September 5th, 1940. So within a year, so the, I think the, yeah, it was like within like a month or two. So Wavi's body was given the same treatment as Seti's, boiled down with the caustic soda, like, which I believe is something kind of like lye. You know, it's what you, it's what's used in soap making. Leonardo is said to have obtained about 3,000 lira, for, from her second victim. And so the first two victims basically kind of disappeared without too much fanfare. I don't know what word I'm trying to find here, but like... People didn't notice? Because of the postcards and stuff. They thought that oh, they, you know... Yeah, yeah. So the first woman was older and probably had less family worried about her. And they were like, oh, she finally found someone. Like both of them had very celebratory things to go and celebrate. And the only communication that they got from the victims were from these like phony postcards you know which later on during the trial Giuseppe how again like he was he was accused of being complicit in the murders because one he helped get rid of the bones unbeknownst to him and two she actually would have Giuseppe send the postcards from places so that it looked like they were somewhere else because he he could travel obviously because he was a soldier so victim number three is Virginia Cacciopo. All right. Get Cacciopo. those drinks ready, boys <laughs> and girls. So Leonardo's final victim was this woman named Virginia. I'm, that's all I'm going to call her. She was of, I would say, maybe a little bit higher of a stature than the other women. She was a former soprano who, have, uh, who sang at La Scala which I'm assuming is like some kind of operatic theater, right? For her, Leonardo claimed to have found work as a secretary for a mysterious businessman in Florence. As with the other two women, 
she was sworn to secrecy not to tell anyone what was going on. So Virginia agreed because then she you know, has control over the situation. Virginia agreed. And on September 30th, 1940. So this is only, gosh, 25 days later. So less than a month. Yeah. She came for her last visit with Leonardo. Right. Celebratory drugged wine. Right. Pattern of the murder was exactly the same. And this is what Leonardo said in a statement during her murder trial. She ended up in the pot like the other two. Her flesh was fat and white. And when it had melted, I added a little bottle of cologne. And after a long time on the boil, I was able to make some most acceptable creamy soap. I gave bars to neighbors and acquaintances. The cakes, too, were better. That woman was really sweet. Uh, Gross. Yeah. It's like... She kind of got off on the murders because it's one thing to murder someone and get rid of their bodies, right? Right. It's another to do shit with their bodies. And then this one, like, she got off on giving people the soap and and shit that she made. Yeah. It's like necromantic home ec class. Yeah, and she there's Today also there's also reports that corpse soap. That, there's also reports that when the when the police did come around looking for especially Virginia because as we're gonna find out Virginia did tell people what was happening and they did tell so people knew that Leonardo was the last person that she visited before she was leaving and she would like offer soap and cakes to the officers. And she would offer soap and cakes to the fucking families of the victims. It would be rude not to. And it was like, I think this like little morbid like joke in her head or like cannibalistic joke in her head of like, oh, you're looking for your lost loved one. Well, you you got him now. You just don't know it. Yeah. Like it's like. Don't poof him out. I think she got a thrill out of it, which, which is interesting because as we know, most serial killing women, they only kill for, they don't kill for sexual pleasure. They don't kill for pleasure. Women don't kill for pleasure. They kill for money and they kill out of like revenge. And those are like the only things. Women don't have the same sexual drive, the same pleasure drive that men have when they kill. Like it's just not really What a about thing. for power? I Maybe. But, but, but that's what I'm saying is that like, she killed for power and pleasure. Like, she got a fucking, she got her jollies off. Is that what people say? Is that what the kids say? I don't think that anyone has said that for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, like I was saying, from Virginia, Leonardo was able to get 50,000 lira and her assorted jewels. Because, again, like, when, when she was leaving, she literally had bags in hand. And so she was able to take her bags and she unpacked them and like took shit. She at this point is Robbed also her. robbing her. Yeah. So like I was saying, the last woman in Virginia, her sister-in-law, because she was married, grew suspicious. I just she wasn't the right victim. <laughs> Too high profile. Yeah. So her sister-in-law grew suspicious at her sudden disappearance. And she remembered last seeing her enter Leonardo's house. And so she reported these, like, you know, fears that she had of what happened to her to the superintendent of police who opened an investigation and soon arrested Leonardo. 
Leonardo immediately confessed to the murders, providing detailed accounts of what she had done. So because the war was raging. So at this point, she's arrested in 1940 and the war messed that up. So she didn't actually get tried until 1946. Oh, wow. that's yeah. So they waited for the war to end, basically. But she was locked up. She was locked up during that time. And one of the reasons she immediately said, you know, I'm guilty. Was she Giuseppe? Didn't, was because Giuseppe could be seen as being implicated because he did. Admittedly, he like came forward and said, like, I didn't know this at the time, but I helped her get rid of evidence, basically. Right. But she, when. So that's why she was very outlandish, like very out there saying, like, I absolutely did it all by myself. He didn't know. So, like, yeah, so that was during that the six-year period when she was locked up before her actual trial. Yeah. He wasn't locked up. No. He was serving in the war and also, like, at home trying to, like, deal, I think. Because I think at that point, he may have been, like, taking care of the family to a certain extent, you know? I don't know how much older or anything, like, her kids were. But I heard on the True Crime All the Time podcast, I don't have the research here, but they were saying that there were people, there were like investigators and like, you know, coroner kind of people that were like, there's no way that Leonardo could have killed. Like the idea was that like women don't have the capacity or the strength to be able to kill anything basically, you know. Yeah, so the investigators... They could. They couldn't believe that she can dispose of a body. So that's so why they're like Giuseppe had to have helped. Right. They didn't think that she could physically dismember a body and so, get rid of it. So this is what I heard from true crime all the time. They were saying that she basically said, "Take me to a morgue and I'll show you how I did it." So I got nervous being like they let her just like dismember a body at the morgue, which they probably would have back then. But basically, they took, like, a doctor with them, and she explained to the doctor and the investigator where she would make the cuts. Because remember, like, each one was in nine pieces. Like, right. She was like, this is where I cut, and this is where I pull, and this is where I used an axe, and this is where I used this, 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 right? And they were like, yep, totally possible. Like, she knows what she's doing. She totally could have done this on her own. She has the knowledge. Yeah, you just got to hit the joints. And so what's interesting, too, is that a lot of the evidence, so she was admitting all of these things, but a lot of the evidence wasn't there because the war effort, so what happens during a war is that you need raw materials. So she actually, as a, as a patriotic citizen, she actually donated her cauldron and many of her tools that she used as her murder weapons, she donated it to the war effort. And so there were no traces of like, you know, human remains or blood or anything like that because she had she had given them away to the war, which reminds me of that short story. I don't remember if you remember reading it when you were like in elementary school or anything. The Royal Doll Lamb to the Slaughter. Did you ever read that? No. It was like this woman. She kills her husband. And the big kind of reveal at the end is that the murder weapon was this leg of lamb. (laughs) And she, at the end, like the police are all sitting around and they're eating the le- they're eating the leg of lamb, not knowing the whole time that they're eating the murder weapon. Yeah. So it just reminds me of it. It's just like, you know, this idea of like this cooking implement that she donates to the war because she's like this 
good person, this patriotic citizen, you know, this protective mother. But like these are the tools of her murder, you know. Right. Yeah. It's just interesting. Yeah. So, like I said, she was tried for murder in 1946. And she remained unrepentant, going so far as to correct the official count while on the stand. At her trial last week, poetess Leonarda gripped the witness stand rail with oddly delicate hands and calmly set the prosecutor right on certain details. Her deep-set eyes gleamed. I think this is from a newspaper clipping. Her deep-set eyes gleamed with a wild inner pride as she concluded, I gave the copper ladle, which I used to skim the fat off the kettles to my country, which was so badly in need of metal during the last days of the war. So, again, she was it was her, like, saying, like, yeah, I don't, the evidence doesn't exist anymore, but I'll tell you what I did with it. I skimmed the fat off the top because you won't be able to find it. So let me just tell you what I did. Because, again, I think she worries that, if there's any doubt in the jury or the judge's mind that she did this with anybody else other than herself, she she really like I think again, I think she gets a rise out of it. And two, like, I think that she really didn't want Giuseppe to take any 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 brunt of it at right. all. Yeah. So she was found guilty of her crimes and sentenced to 30 years in prison and three years in a criminal asylum. So think about those two the palm reading. She yeah. said, What do I see in your future? Jail and a criminal asylum. And those exactly are the things. So n- nearly all of her prophecies were fulfilled. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. So Leonardo died of a cerebral apoplexy in the women's criminal asylum in Pozzuoli in October, um, oh, on October 15th, 1970. A number of artifacts from the case, including the pot in which the victims are boiled on display at the Criminological Museum in Rome. And other things that you can see are hacksaws, hammers, and I think a couple knives from her collection. It's pretty crazy. It reminds me of the hospital we went to in Thailand. Yeah. the uh, We went to a couple, right? Well, there's the one oh, big one in Bangkok that we right. went to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Giant hospital, museum. and there's a medical museum in the hospital. And they had, like, mummified serial killers there, too. It was crazy. Yeah, one side of the wall was killers and the other side was the victims it was, it was fucked up it was it's really fucked, fucked up, up to think about that they were in the same room i know and they had like the clothes of the victims laid out with like holes and blood where they got stabbed remember it there was that one with the kid who climbed into the clay pot when there was a fire going in like a yeah. movie theater and they're like here's the clay pot and it's like jesus christ yeah he's still in there well i i hope not but yeah they didn't they didn't specify thailand the final frontier. <laughs> so you could join our true crime dumpster Facebook group if you choose. Which... Oh wait, 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 wait! We say like that's the case this week or something like some kind of wrap up. Okay, so that was the case this week. That was the case this week. <laughs> <laughs> that's our story, and we're sticking to it. Yeah. Moral of the story: Don't D- underestimate a mother's love for her kids. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Other, what's your what's your big takeaway? If you go to a palm reader and they tell you that one hand says you're going to jail and the other hand says you're going to insane asylum, what do you do? I don't know. <laughs> so that wasn't a moral. You of go any story. surfing. <laughs> I don't know. 
get a second opinion. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Because it sounds like she went to the same gypsy a couple of times. And I think she got gypped. Oh, I don't think you can say that, young lady. <laughs> Anyways, so thanks for listening. Uh, you can join our True Crime Dumpster Facebook group. You can follow us on Twitter at TC Dumpster and on Instagram at True Crime Dumpster. You can email us at truecrimedumpster at gmail.com. You can also check out our website, truecrimedumpster.com. Listen to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, and Spotify, as well as some other platforms that we don't know about. (laughs) Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends about our podcast. Every review, rating, and referral helps us to get a larger audience. Tune in next time as we continue talking out the trash. Bye-bye. Ciao. Oh, yeah. Ciao, Bella. Hasta la vista, baby. (laughs) 